Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Thanks for joining me for Episode 6 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. I have been really looking forward to this show because my guest is none other than a Ring of Honor Grand Slam champion and one hell of a guy. He's Matt Taven. Matt, hey. welcome to the show. I like the and one hell of a guy. I need that. Matt Taven, <laughs> one hell of a guy. I'm Matt Taven. There you go. Add that to your list of accomplishments. You're one hell of a guy. Put that on the resume. Yeah, right. Grand Slam <laughs> champion, one hell of a guy is how I need to be introduced to every podcast from here on out. All right. So, Matt, since, since we started this podcast here about uh, five weeks ago, the first question I've asked every guest is, what have they been doing while under quarantine? But maybe I need to uh, change it up now since things are starting to open up a bit. So, how have things been going at Taven Manor, and are you getting out of the house more a little bit now? Uh, I mean, I, I'm starting to little by little. It's it's slowly opening up in all the states around Massachusetts right now. Uh, so it seems like everyone outside of Massachusetts is starting to get out a little bit more than than I am. But you know, I'm I'm trying to get out as much as possible. I'm a very active um uh, adventurous person if i if i don't mind saying so about myself so to be cooped up at home for this long is uh making me go a little bit crazy but i was able to actually go up to new hampshire this this weekend and go up into the mountains a little bit and get some fresh air and and just get out of the house so uh, i'm starting to feel a little bit normal and i think that if um we can get back to, you know, wrestling. Oh my goodness. It, it, it would make me feel like a whole new person. So that's, that's all I can kind of think about is, is finally getting back to being on the road again. Absolutely. I can understand that for sure. So Matt, we know that you underwent surgery on your ankle at the end of last year. So uh, maybe it's almost like um, a blessing in a sense, like you're not like everybody's out. You're not like off yeah, right. TV and recovering like the whole roster is. Uh, but where are you in terms of your recovery right now? That is one of the weirdest things about this quarantine is that I've been able to quietly uh, rehab my ankle surgery, but also I got knee surgery as well during quarantine and uh, have been able to to rehab that while everything's going on. Uh, it's been a little difficult because since everything's closed down, I haven't been able to you know get into the PT office. I really haven't been able to talk to my surgeon except over over Zoom and Skype. Uh, which is a little different. It's hard to explain things that, that are going on and, and how you're recovering uh, over the computer instead of really showing someone uh, and, and letting them see how you're recovering. So, you know, it's, I, I think I'm doing great. You know, I think I'm, I feel ready to go. I haven't been able to get a doctor to say, you know, you're cleared just because of what everything that's going on right now uh, with quarantine. But if, if it was up to me, you know, I, and this might be my own stupid, um, uh, stupidness from not learning from previous mistakes because I always seem to kind of you know go out there into the ring no matter what condition I'm, I'm in but right now if you were to ask me if I was ready to go I, I feel like I am I'm just waiting for for doctors okay and hopefully uh, everything can kind of get lifted uh, um, as far as lockdown and, and probably my most important thing 
uh, that I'm looking forward to is getting back into a doctor's office so they can tell me, tell me I'm good to go. Well, Matt, you alluded to the fact that you would go out there and wrestle even if you weren't 100%. And I think you've pretty much, you know, I mean, the cat's out of the bag. You've talked about it. You were wrestling uh, on that bad ankle for quite a while. How long was it that, you, that the ankle was bothering you and you continued to work? And what was your mindset um, as far as continuing to, you know, to push forward at that point? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's a thing that's just in us as wrestlers in general, you know, this isn't like a, uh, easy thing to get into. And it really, it's takes a a toll on your body and and whether you're hurt, hurt, or just out there wrestling, you you feel pain. You know what I mean? You come back to the hotel room and your back sore, your knees sore, and you just kind of find a way to work through it. So it's just kind of something ingrained in us to, to always push through and for me personally, I, I was stu- like really kind of struggling with two different things. Um, I had knee surgery on the ACL and uh, both meniscus uh, on the left side on my left knee uh, four years ago. Um, and I think I kind of came back too early from that injury and really never let uh, my meniscus heal uh, the way it should have. And I was kind of dealing with that the entire time since coming back. So for the last four years, uh, I, I've been dealing with a knee that from time to time would lock up, you know, middle of the matches. I couldn't couldn't uh, get my knee to bend. And it's just something that I, I never talked about. I just kind of kept going out there, icing it when I could. And uh, knowing that, you know, one day I'll, I'll have a chance to get it uh, fixed. And unfortunately, with wrestling, it's not like we have an off season or anything. And uh, if you don't want to be forgotten, you, you really don't step out of that spotlight if uh, if you can. So it's one of those things where I was just kind of pushing through and I knew things were getting better and better and better. And uh, I saw like this career path in front of me. That was the one that I was, that I'd wanted, the one that I'd been working for. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we, I was getting um, to do these huge things in Mexico and I, I could see something start to come to fruition in ring of honor. And I knew I just, I had no, there was nothing in me that was going to stop. You know, I had worked this long to, to get in this spot and to think like, oh, I got to take a break now to, to fix this knee up just wasn't an option. So when I came back, uh, especially after the anniversary show, after the hair versus hair match, um, I, I knew that, you know, my goal was that world title. And I had talked to you, you know, about this, about the the kind of steps that had gone along the way there. And you, you put things like a, a knee that swells up from time to time on the back burner. You know, you, you have these things like I got to get through the 60 minutes with lethal. I got MSG coming up. Finally, MSG happens and you win. And you're like, well, I'm not going to stop now. I'm the world champ. And so you, you keep going out there and you just keep pushing it and pushing it. And one night in Atlanta, it was the champions versus all stars match. I was on the outside of the ring. I go to throw a kick um, at Jay lethal. I believe he ducks out of the way. I accidentally hit my, my teammate Shane Taylor. And when I went to put my foot down just the way uh, I was bringing it down, it, it clipped the end of the mats that we have the protective mats on around the ring and it just rolled completely over. And I don't know if you've ever had a a serious injury like this, but some people uh, can relate to this when like you break a bone or or you tear a ligament, it's almost like you feel this flash of white come over your eyes and it's like, Ooh, something bad just happened. And uh, I I knew something bad happened. I was wondering if I broke my ankle, 
Um, but I get up and I kind of walk on it a little bit. I'm like, I'm all right. I'm all right. And I actually continue that match. I do my dive to the outside of the ring. I do a bunch of, of stuff that I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have if I, if I knew exactly um, how bad I had injured my ankle. But then again, uh, to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure how bad it really was until after uh, final battle. So it's, it's one of those things that um, the next day I saw it swell up, but it wasn't like I could take the day off. I was there in Nashville. I flew immediately to Mexico the, the very next day, uh, wrestled a week in Mexico. I, I just recently posted a picture of my ankle right before the Grand Prix. Uh, I took the picture in the locker room and it's just, it looks like something out of a horror movie. And to think I just kept wrestling and wrestling, but if you knew how long I had worked to get to be the world champion, there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop me from, from, from living that dream that I had put, um, that I, that goal that I had set for myself and that finally come to, to reality. There was no way I was going to relinquish that title because of injury. I was just going to fight through it as much as I could. And it's probably one of the biggest reasons, you know, that, um, things went the way they, they did with, with Roosh is uh, I was going into that match very hurt. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you, you have very few people you can kind of let the, your guard down and tell what's going on. You know, you have, you have friends, obviously this locker room's great. I love everyone in it, but it's not like I'm going to tell the news, uh, to, you know, to everyone that, that my ankle's hanging on by a thread, but you tell your close friends. And unfortunately for me, one of my close friends is probably the reason why I had to ultimately get surgery on that ankle. Well, it's funny you should mention one of your close friends because um, I wasn't sure if I should bring this up or not, but your former friend, Vincent, uh, knows that you're the guest on this week's podcast and has been texting me like crazy to uh, be a part of the podcast. But um, <laughs> I mean, of course he has. He needs me to, to for any spotlight. You know, it's, it's yeah. been his entire life has been uh, Matt Taven, get me somewhere. And right. You know, he can't even let me have a podcast without him trying to trying to jump on that that spotlight. So it's just that that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned, uh, you know, working through this this injury when you're the world champion or you're on the path to that. I had this, a similar conversation with uh, Dalton Castle last week, and mm. he was in a similar spot. Right. He, he worked so hard and so long to be, get to become the Ring of Honor world champion. And then he breaks his back. Yeah. Um, and he was out there gutting it out until he just couldn't take it anymore. As I'm sure you know, you're, you're close with Dalton. Um, it yeah. just, it's like the timing for both of you guys sucked. But, <laughs> man, I give you guys all the credit in the world for fighting through it um, the way you did. And look, Matt, I, I'm not blowing smoke here. I've told you this. I've said it on other, in other places. No one would ever know that you were hurt because – you were having still some of the best, if not the best matches in Ring of Honor that whole time you were hurt. And that's saying something when you look at our roster and how talented it is that, that you were out there having great matches, you know, every time you were in the ring. And, and I, I really appreciate that. And I, I never wanted anyone to say, like, to put an asterisk on any of those matches and say, like, oh, he did this while hurt. And I still don't want people to think that because – I made the decision knowing that I could live up to being the world champion. That, that, that's the why I, I still went out there. I didn't go out thinking like, oh, man, I'm just going to go out either way. You know, I'll probably embarrass myself tonight. I, I knew like, hey, I can still tape this thing up and go out there and, and be the world champ. So 
uh, whether it's, you know, Alex Shelley, whether it's, it's Tracy Williams, whether it's Jeff Cobb, like all those matches, I'm, I'm still extremely proud of. And I still will look at fondly and, uh, look at them through the, through the lens of this is, this is a healthy world champion that's going out there and showing people that uh, he deserves to be the world champ. But, you know, you, you tell the story of Dalton and he's one of my closest friends. He's a guy that I, I was able to tell like, Oh, my knees, this, my ankles, that, but at the same time, I'm looking you know, at a guy that broke his back. So it's not like I can make many excuses and be like, you know, I, I, I think I should call it a night. You know how you wrestled through a broken back. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> I'm going to be that crazy, but um, I think that's just what wrestlers do. And it's, it's, such a, a huge part of this industry is fighting through the aches and the pains. And I, I don't think that a lot of people can truly understand what that's like from the outside. Uh, unless you see these guys, you know, getting up in the morning and going to the gym, even though they can hardly walk straight. It's, um, it's super impressive to think that um, guys go out there night after night and, and just continue to do what they do, especially in ring of honor with the stakes being as high as they are and the, the risks that people take. And, um, just that, that pride of always going out there and wanting to show the world something they hadn't seen before, no matter how you feel, is just, it, it says so much to, to every guy in that locker room. Speaking of Dalton, uh, we had him and uh, Joe Hendry on last week's podcast. And, and Matt, I don't know if you know, but uh, your name came up. Um, specifically, we talked about your hair. <laughs> um, and Dalton said that you were, I'm quoting him now, this is not me saying this. He said that you were slowly transitioning into a pineapple. So Matt, I have to ask, you know, we ask the hard hitting questions on this podcast. What is going on with your hair at this point? You know what? Like jealousy is a stinky perfume and I can smell Dalton from all the way from Tennessee where he is right now, because he's just jealous that I have this beautiful curly hair. And, uh, you know, he was born with that greasy stringy hair and he, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's always wondering if he should cut it. I'm like, no, I'm letting these locks grow. I'm letting them flow in the wind. It's summertime. I like to put a bandana in my head and uh, let my curls fly out the back. So that's my plan for the summer. And Dalton, if he wants to talk about my hair, like what he has nothing better to do on a podcast about him, but talk about my hair. Like, how does this happen? Well, to be fair, I did bring it up. I, I referenced the staring contest that, that the two of you had. And I said, what's going on with Matt's hair? It seems like it's sort of in a transition. Like it's sort of a mohawk, but it's kind of like got a little curly cue in the front. So to be fair, I was the one who brought it up. I'll tell you this much. I'll never have a, a, a uh, lack of things to talk about where I have to talk about Dalton Castle's hair uh, <laughs> during any podcast that's supposed to be about me. <laughs> but, you know, it. It's tough to be a, a curly-haired kid if I can have a second to, to get on my soapbox real quick. You know, you have long curly hair. Everyone calls you Polly Shore. You, you get your head <laughs> shaved. It's a mohawk. People still call you Polly Shore. You get, you know, extensions and straighten your hair. People still call you Polly Shore. It's crazy. Like, that, you know what? This is, this is like racism against curly-haired kids. Not all of us are Polly Shore or Kenny G or whatever, you know, you want to say. I didn't ask for curly hair. I wake up and it's like a bird's nest and I have to fist fight it every day for it to be some sort of manageable. And people want to say that I look like Polly Shore in the end. And you know what? I don't care. I love Polly Shore. I love the 90s. I love headbands. I love curly hair. Whatever, man. I'll be this generation's Polly Shore. Whatever. I, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but uh, 
you are you are definitely a better looking man than Paulie Shore. I, I mean, I, I thought that that was a given. But you know, if these these trolls out there just want to call me Paulie Shore, guess what? Paulie Shore's rich. I'll be Paulie Shore any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, but who'd Paulie Shore ever beat? I mean, seriously, not in the not in Madison Square Garden either. So yeah, not anywhere. Well, I tell you, you know, I, not to make this about me, but I can understand. I kind of have curly. It's not quite as curly as yours, but it's wavy, you know, yeah. and it and and it's thick. And if it gets long, yeah, like. I'm going to be honest. I, we, we could never do video. We have to do this audio because I haven't, I was due for a haircut on April 1st. Yeah. I my haircut like every three weeks. Cause I have to keep it short. Cause curly is, is unruly. April 1st was when I was due and I still haven't gotten my haircut. I'm looking mine puffs up. So right now I'm looking like, um, it's a white man's afro is, is probably the best way I can put it. Oh, yeah. Mine goes straight up, too. It's got like that Kramer sliding through the door look. Yes. It just looks straight up in the air, and I have to soak it in all sorts of coconut oil and products so it actually will lie down for me. And it still doesn't do a very good job uh, <laughs> when I do that. And I'm glad that I've talked about my hair for the majority of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, this seems like the perfect time. <laughs> to uh, gather ourselves here, uh, take a quick break, and talk about wrestling and get off of your hair. How's that hey, seem? You know what? I, I don't mind. We can come back. We'll talk about all the products that I use and how I get so, so gorgeous uh, for the next hour, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that'll be another episode. All right, everybody. Uh, come right back for more with Matt Taven after this short break. The franchise here of Ring of Honor Wrestling, about to watch me some Honor Club right here in my very own living room. But first, I wanted to let you guys know a cool feature. Now you can go directly to the match that you're looking for on any video that exists on the Honor Club. Find the menu in the bottom right-hand corner, open it up, and just select the match that you want to go directly to. For me, it's me versus Jay Briscoe from Best in the World 2015. You select the match, it's just that simple. We're back here with Matt Taven on the ROH Strong Podcast. Matt, your name uh, also came up a few weeks ago on the podcast when we had Jay Lethal on. And um, I think you've heard um, how complimentary he was of you. What's your reaction when you hear a guy who is literally the franchise of Ring of Honor saying how much respect he has for you and, and your work ethic and your work? I mean, not, not to sound, you know, too soft or anything, but it was kind of emotional listening to that. It's, um, you know, I, it's, it's incredible to think of Jay Lethal, like being this young kid and literally being on TV since then, like never getting off it. It just going from, from marquee ma match and program to the next and just doing nothing but showing people time after time, how great he is and like doing it with ease, it almost seems. So it will never get old to me to hear someone like Jay Lethal say anything positive about me. Uh, but it was truly strange when you read what I wrote about Madison Square Garden to him, because I just never pictured that situation ever happening. Like I, I pictured maybe he would, you know, maybe he would read it, but like for someone to like kind of sit there and, and read it to him and hear his reaction to it, it was it like it, it gave me almost nervous goosebumps at first like oh man that's he, Jay Lethal's hearing this and uh to hear his reaction to it gave me like almost that same feeling that I talk about at that garden um in the locker room at the garden again you know what I mean I almost got that same sense of like 
wow, like I, 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 so I'm so glad that someone like Jay Lethal uh, saw what I was doing, like just the amount of work that I put in because like wrestling is, it's a tough business, you know, people know that, but it's also like, a, it's a mental game. And like, you sit there and you watch other people and you're like, why isn't that me? Why am I not getting these shots? All right, I'm working hard. I know I need to work on X, Y, Z. Okay, I'll change around this. And sometimes you feel like no one is, is really paying attention. And uh, when I came back from injury, I was like focused on, on like, I'm grabbing a microphone and I'm sitting in front of that camera and I'm letting everyone know exactly how I feel. And then when I go out in the ring, I'm going to back it up every time. And I felt like I was doing that. And I, at the same time, I felt like I wasn't, I was kind of turning my gears stuck in, in the mud a little bit and to see, or to hear someone like Jay Lethal uh, say something like that. It's like, Oh, I, I wasn't stuck in the mud at all. Like people were, were, were seeing what was going on. It was just, I was just waiting for my time. And, uh, it's, it's one of those crazy things that you, you think about these little moments in time and they, they mean so much to you when you look back on them that you're like, wow, I, I didn't really realize that in the moment, but Jay told me like, there's a, there was a match between me and Ultimo Guerrero that was obviously uh, shown on, on my, my uh, Ring of Honor episode a couple of weeks ago. But there's such a, a bigger backstory to that. That was supposed to be a different match. Flights got mixed up. Last minute, I get put in the ring with Ultimo Guerrero. And just one of those nights where magic happens. You know, the crowd's into it. We're just, we're feeling it. And I can remember like Jay Lethal saying, you know, you, you could have gone out there and just mailed it in because no one would expect you to, uh, on the drop of a hat, to just replace someone else and go out there and work that hard. But you went out there and, and you killed it. You kept doing what you, you know, you have said you wanted to do and wanted to prove, and you did it again in one of the toughest circumstances. You know, me and Guerrero have wrestled a million times, but we really don't speak the same language. So it's always a, it's always a little bit of a, of a, uh, struggle just kind of getting on the same page and to to see the appreciation from a guy like Jay Lethal um it's still one of those things where I, I can think about all the championships and see the pictures of me raising belts over my head and none of that will will truly mean as much as hearing the words from someone like Jay Lethal oh and that's certainly understandable um I know you've talked extensively about the one hour draw that you had with Jay at uh, 17th anniversary. And of course about winning the championship at Madison square garden. But I do want to touch on those matches uh, just a little bit. Hmm. Um, the one hour draw uh, specifically um, everyone knew that Jay could go an hour because we've seen him do it before. But honestly, I think there was some question internally of, well, can Matt go for an hour? So my question to you is, have you ever, had you ever gone an hour before you did that match with Jay? And what was your first reaction when you were told, hey, you're going to be going for an hour? You know, um, I, I had done hour matches before, but not in a while. Not since I was like up to that next echelon in Ring of Honor. You know what I mean? Not with, like at a main event caliber with someone like Jay Lethal. So you kind of almost have to throw those previous ones out the window because you know it's going to be a totally different animal. And I can remember hearing uh, that we were going into to do an hour and I was on the elliptical at the time when I was being told. And I remember just being like, well, I, I can't get off this elliptical for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Um, so it was just one of those things where 
I knew physically I would be fine. I just, I think mentally kind of had that same feeling in my mind of this is, this is going to prove to a lot of people that you can live up to everything that you say. So I'm putting that pressure on myself the whole time of this is your opportunity. This is your chance. And, you know, I talk about it in the article about how I, I feel that if Vegas didn't go good, if I absolutely just lay an egg in the ring with lethal uh there's no chance of me winning at madison square garden and i i I know that that's that's definitely the case you know when i look back at things so i'm putting that pressure on myself the entire time and i have about you know a, a month or a little under a month to kind of train for it and i think that that honestly was the biggest obstacle it wasn't necessarily you know, thinking about being in the ring for an hour long, can I get through it cardio wise? I knew that I had enough training and I had enough wits and I, I just believed in myself enough to get through something like that. It was putting the added pressure on, okay, everything that you had laid out to get to Madison Square Garden has come true, has come true. And now like, you know, you're playing that video game. You have that one boss that, that you have to beat before you finally get to the, the last level. And I'm looking at it, I'm staring it down. I'm like, this is my last hurdle. And granted, it's not your uh, you know average hurdle. It's 10 feet off the ground and you have to leap, find a way to get over it. But I knew that, A, if I was given the opportunity, I could. It was just a matter of, executing when all the chips, you know, no pun intended for it being in Vegas, but when all the chips were on the line. So I knew that that match was going to go 60 and I'm sitting there watching it. Um, I was watching on honor club. I wasn't in Vegas and you guys started out like hot, like it was fast paced right from the start. Sometimes when a match is going 60, you can almost tell because the, the guys start off very slow. Was that a conscious decision that you and Jay made? Like, like we're not going to, start slow and pace ourselves like we're gonna go at it right from the beginning a thousand and a million percent because um first off jay lethal's mind and i don't want to put my mind on that level because he still says things or breaks things down for me and i'm like how did i not think of that what is wrong with me uh but we both kind of i think we were both you know watching these 60 minute matches and how other people had put them together and i think we both knew that it would be obvious if we went in there and started chain wrestling at the beginning. And so when we got to Vegas that day, we both had that in, in our mindset of like, no, let's not make this obvious that it's going to be 60 minutes. Let's kind of throw people off the scent early. And a uh, funny story is that I think I hit like a vertical suplex or something. One, two, kick out. I think I put Jay in something and, and he says to me, I think we're at 15. And I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds about right. And Todd Sinclair comes over and goes, you're only six minutes in. <laughs> and we were like, oh, no. Oh, no, we're screwed. Uh, so, it, it, you know, we, we had that mindset of, of kind of being a little bit different than other 60-minute matches uh, of the past. Uh, but, man, did, were we not expecting for, for that time, especially at the beginning, to kind of go as slow as it did. Uh, the, the second half seemed like it flew by. But for the first 20 minutes, I would say, Man, I'm, I'm in my own mind and going, oh, oh no, that's only 15 minutes. This is only 20 minutes. Like, oh, we got another 40. How are we going to do this? But it was like when we started hitting that, that halfway mark and you could feel that crowd and the electricity in that building, it was, it was a night off from, from that point out. So I think personally that was my favorite match of the year. 
um, and you could make a strong case it was match of the year, but it didn't win match of the year. What did win match of the year was the latter match at MSG with you and, and Lethal and Marty Skrull. Um, and I know you have talked about that uh, match. You've written about it. Like, I don't know what else um, I can really ask you about it that you haven't already answered other than was there anything that didn't go as planned in the match where you had to adjust on the fly? Yeah, there were there were definitely little things um, that that happened, and I can even watch it back and see, like, oh, I think this is supposed to happen, but we, you know, are the ladders in the wrong position, so we're kind of moving things around, and things get a little bit choppy and just not as smooth as as uh, I would like them to be. Maybe in like one or two parts, but I and I personally can see it, but I don't know if you know necessarily everyone else can pick up on it, but. Um, Overall, you know, the match went pretty close to, to how we wanted it to. Uh, and it, it's, it's one of those things for me that, you know, it's funny you say you thought that that was the match of the year in Vegas because I still, like, when people talk about MSG, I, my first mind is Vegas because I, I do think that that's the match of the year. You know, that's my favorite match ever because, you know, like I've said to you or said in the article – Madison Square Garden doesn't happen without Vegas, so I, it's hard for me to separate the two. And I, I truly believe that the uh, better match, just because of the 60 minutes and what it meant in the long run, uh, has to go to, to Vegas, or at least in my mind. But uh, if, if people are going to vote me match of the year one way or the other, <laughs> I, I'll take it. <laughs> well, well, in my mind, and this is, I think, basically what you're saying, is as soon as that 60-minute Broadway was over, I felt like, Matt Taven is a made man. Um, yeah. You know, like you were, you were just on, the, I mean, to some of us, you already were, but I think to the larger wrestling community or population or however you want to say it, that was, that was like the, the stamp. And no matter what happened at MSG, I still feel like you were made after that night. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, like I feel, I agree a hundred percent, but I feel like even though the decision for MSG, you know, I've talked about it, we don't know about it or we don't hear what it is until an hour or two before the show. I think it was made that night in Vegas that uh, after that performance that I, I should be the world champion. And so to me, it's almost like Vegas, I win the title. You know what I mean? So it's like yep. this weird memory, this paradox in my mind of like, what's more important, the, the chicken or the egg? Uh, so it's, uh, it, it'll always go down as I'll, I'll mix those two together. Uh, but, the, you know, the fans voted on match of the year. And for all the stuff, for all the, the things that are said about me on the internet, for a fan vote to put me in the match of the year, again, I, I, won't, I won't pick straws. I'll take it one way or the other. Right. <laughs> You, you alluded to the article a couple of times, and just so people know what we're talking about, you wrote a first-person article. It's a new series we have on the ROHwrestling.com called Word of Honor. Uh, you're the first one. The second one's being worked on now by someone. Uh, won't let the cat out of the bag yet. But basically, it was called My Journey to the Top of the Ladder, and you talked all about what you needed to do to get to that point, and you walked us through Vegas and the day of the show. I really recommend reading it uh, for anybody out there. who it, it's, a, it's a great read. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in that article, though, was that I think the quote was that you've made your share of mistakes and you've had more setbacks than you can count. But you didn't really get into any specifics. Is, is there anything like you can talk about specifically that when you say that, that what did you mean? Uh, you know, it's I, I think it's, it's hard to find anyone that can't look back on their lives and think, 
man, that was a dumb mistake or this was a stupid decision. And you know, there's plenty of things that I'm, I'm sure I, I look back on and not be proud, on, proud of at all. And then at the same time, you, you think of all the injuries and you think of all the times where, you know, it was you, Mike and Maria touring the world. And next thing you know, you're on an operating table about to have your leg cut open. And those things kind of, it, it puts a lot of stuff in perspective for you. And you, you think about like those cliche uh, it, quotes about, it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up and you almost roll your eyes when you hear it. And now you look back at quotes like that and you're like, it's so true. Like that's, it's, it's about fighting back. You know, it's about, um, showing that resilience because this is not an easy road where everyone just goes straight to the top. And there's been so many times where I'm sure my mouth or my attitude or, you know, just a, a dumb mistake. People know about, uh, I moonsaulted Georgie Edible Steel at one point. You know, I heard about that. We, we saw my first match where I slip on the top rope. Like, <laughs> oh man, like I just made so many just mistakes in the ring out of the ring and and to think that that whole time I never let anything really get me to the point where I, I thought that this dream wasn't worth it I've always loved wrestling so much that even at my lowest moments even at times where I'm you know I'd be just in a, my room by myself like what is going on I never had the thought of quitting because when I thought about it nothing make, made me happier than being in a wrestling ring so to walk away from it like what what happiness would i find if i ever did that you know like my my point of of being i feel like is to be a wrestler it's all i've ever wanted to be since i was a child and to have the chance of of living that dream is something so rare that to think about walking away almost seems like ludicrous to me at this point but you know, uh, when you make those mistakes along the way, going up on the indies, just trying to catch a break, you think like, oh, I'm, ne I'm never going to get a break. Like, I'm, I'm just, it's never going to happen. And you have to fight through those thoughts every single day, really. Um, so to, to me, it's, it's truly, I, I'm proud of, of all those mistakes. I'm proud of, of these scars that are, that are on my body because to me, I, I got up. And I kept going. And in uh, <clears throat> Madison Square Garden will be a moment that I can live for for the rest of my life, even though I'm not done. But uh, after everything that, uh, that has happened, I can look back and be like, well, you know, I, I made it to literally the top of the mountain. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that George Steele incident. <laughs> I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to name a name, but someone in ROH management we were talking about you. It was, I think, during the lead up to you winning the title or right after you won it. And we were just both saying how, you know, how happy we were that you won the championship and you deserved it and all that. And this guy said, yeah, I never would have dreamed it. You know, years ago, I saw him, you know, do this thing to George the Animal Steel. And I immediately said, man, that guy's never going to work for Ring of Honor. <laughs> I have anything to say about it. So, I mean, when did this happen? And, and like, what, what was the exact incident? Like, what happened? So uh, it's, too, it's, it's on the internet. Again, like all my worst things are online in one shape or form. But uh, it, it was October 1st, 2010. Not like I can't forget the date or anything. Not like it's burned <laughs> into my mind. Uh, it was at a Northeast wrestling show that was jam-packed. I mean, it, like 2,000 people stacked into uh, a high school in Connecticut. The main event that night was um, Daniel Bryan, who was the, actually the U.S. champion at the time, was coming back, was, you know, 
WWE U.S. champion was fighting in the main event against Shelton Benjamin um, at this Northeast wrestling show. So needless to say, there was, there was tons of people there. And uh, I was involved in a match that was kind of like a, a spectacle match. It was me um, and a local Waterbury, Connecticut police officer. That was my tag partner uh, against this guy, Brian Anthony and Bull Dread. And they had a heel manager and the outside enforcer was George Animal Steel. And to kind of, you know, make this uh, story a little bit shorter, uh, Bull Dread and George Animal Steel just happened to kind of be wearing like the same exact outfit, like black and red, bald head. They, they look like <laughs> twins. Uh, and so like there's this point where I'm supposed to do a moonsault to the outside and the heel manager is hopping up on the apron on the opposite side, which is where George is supposed to be. So I assume that George is going over to this heels manager. I look between my legs about to do the moonsault and I see black, red, bald guy. I'm like, all right, well, there's Bull Dread. He's in position. I go for it. When I hit, I knew exact. I knew the moment I hit that something was wrong because I wasn't caught like normal. Um, my crotch and my my family jewels. Uh, I, I felt them just get drilled into something. Uh, little did I realize it was George Animal Steel's skull uh, that I made like a perfect T. If I was to do a plank onto George's head, that's exactly probably if you freeze frame it, that's that's what happened. Uh, so when I hit, I knew I wasn't caught and I hit the ground. I look over and I see George kind of stumbling and my heart just sinks. And I'm like, I just moonsaulted George Animal Steel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's one of those moments that will just live forever. And, uh, you know, there's no point of running away from it at this point. The coolest thing that happened, though, is that George Animal Steel ends up being one of the toughest, coolest, like, just best overall guys of all time. Totally, you know, never put heat on me or anything. He wanted me to start calling myself the animal killer and making shirts. And like, he was like, I'll make vignettes with you. And I'm like, George, I am, I'm so ashamed of what happened that I, that I hit you with this moonsault. Like I'm running away from this with, with everything I got. And George wanted me to really lean into it. And we have a couple of funny pictures of, um, autograph signings that we did together after the after this happened where I like stand up on the table and act like I'm gonna moonsault him and he he you know he cowers in fear and people really enjoyed they they paid extra money to take that that photo up. Uh so it, it turned into this really cool friendship and you know he was a great dude all the way to the end and God rest his soul. But uh one time as a rib you know, I don't think people really had no, like, I, I doubt that I told a lot of people that after that, I'm, pro I'm sure I didn't tell anyone because I don't think I wanted to talk about it to anyone. But I'm sure I didn't tell many people that me and George had, had you know, started calling each other and kind of had this little relationship. But as a rib one time, he showed up in that same promotions locker room in the Northeast Wrestling locker room uh, in Connecticut. And just to like to pop all the boys, he came in and was like, where's Taven? And I think he's like joking around because we have, we've, we've had all these interactions afterwards. I don't know he's, he's doing this for the boys. He grabbed me and, and honestly, I felt like a child that could have been picked up into the air. And George is in his eighties at this point. He grabbed me and I felt that strength. And I was like, you know what, if this got serious, I don't know if I want to take George Animal Steel right now. <laughs> so uh, he, he's such a good dude. And, uh, you know, that incident ended up turning into something really cool. But, uh, you know, I'm sure 
I'm sure people that have never heard of it are probably on YouTube right now getting a good laugh out of it. So I'm glad I made your quarantine. You're welcome. <laughs> That's a great story. I'm glad it had a happy ending. Um, <laughs> Me too. And here uh, you are, though. That happened in 2010. Here you are in 2020. Former Ring of Honor World Champion, Grand Slam Champion, all those things we said. Hell of a guy, of course. That goes on the resume. Uh, but I want to ask you about, about, about loyalty, okay? Because you could have gone elsewhere in this past year. Your contract was up. Um, I'm sure you could have gone other places, but you stayed with Ring of Honor. Why did you decide to stay? Uh, you know, there's, I've been asked that question a lot, and there's truly so many reasons. And, you know, the, the biggest reason um, besides, I guess the second biggest reason is just the faith that I have in Ring of Honor and the belief that this is truly is the best wrestling on the planet. I mean, look at this locker room. Even after um, what happened at, at the end of 2018, with so many guys ended up leaving, we, we did nothing but almost get better with like the Banditos and the Rouches and just all this international talent coming in. And then, you know, you got Slacks coming in and then you just got so many guys coming into their own that I, I would put myself in that category in 2019 that it's just, it's such an unbelievable group of, of talent in this locker room. And you can sit there and just name everyone and, and like, man, from the technical aspects of like a Jonathan Gresham to just being in the ring with someone as good as Jay Lethal, you, it's hard to look at this roster and say like, you'd want to be anywhere else. You'd, you'd want to wrestle any other uh, group of guys. So for me personally, that, that was probably, you know, the second biggest thing. But the first biggest thing is something that goes back four years. Uh, when, when I blew my knee out, so many things were up in the air. Like, man it's it's hard to really explain this whole situation but final battle 2015 it's me cole maria and mike where the kingdom we're as happy as can be to be honest with you and uh stuff's going on with with mike and maria's contract and they're they're kind of looking around and it wasn't definite yet but they were leaning towards going to tna like they ended up doing and um it was really like a weird a weird moment going into to that match we weren't sure if it was going to be our last one together. It ended up being our last one or so far. Um, and it's just, it had this weird feeling to it. And boom, I blow my ACL out. I rupture a meniscus. I tear the other one and I'm staring down the barrel of like the first doctor <laughs> that saw me told me it would be two years before I got back in the ring. So like, I'm just staring down bad news and now Mikey ends up leaving. And there were plans on if Mikey was, if Mike and Maria were to leave, certain things would are good, were still going to happen with me and Cole. But now here I am injured and Cole joins the Bullet Club. And it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm like out here in no man's land. And, um, you know, my contract expires three months later, two months after surgery, three months after uh, final battle. And I was worried, man. I was freaking out. Uh, you know, anyone that, that's been in the wrestling business knows that nothing's really guaranteed to you. And especially a guy like me that really cut his teeth on that New England indie scene where sometimes, you know, you're getting a hot dog and a handshake and you're getting, you know, you're just taking the experience home with you, basically. And um, to think that in that time where Ring of Honor truly didn't know what they would get back, you know, if I would ever be the same when I came back. Uh, to think that they came to me, offered me a contract, said that, A, they paid, they paid out the rest of the contract that I had, even though I, I couldn't wrestle. They offered me a new one. They said that they believed that I would put the work in to come back and be better than I ever was. And 
those words like spoke to me, you know, where you're, you know, you're hearing from other people like, Oh yeah, tell us, tell us when, you know, you're, you're rehabbing and we'll talk and, and ring of honor is like, no, we know you're who you're going to be when, when you get back from rehab and we want that guy on our team. I will never, ever, ever forget that as long as I live. Um, and so when it came down to making, you know, another decision, it, it, I don't, <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this because it truly was a no brainer. You know, showing that kind of loyalty to a guy like me means, means the world. And uh, I will always try to show it back. Uh, and you definitely have. I mean, I just, I'll tell a quick personal story is I think it was about a year and a half ago. Um, I had asked you to give me a quote for a story. It was backstage at a show uh, for something I was writing for the website. And I'll never forget. You said to me at the time, Hey man, if you ever need anything for the website in the future, don't hesitate to ask, which was awesome to hear coming from one of the, you know, the top guys uh, on the roster. And I must say, you've been a man of your word because um, I have bugged you about a lot of things and you've always, you've always been there. And you're definitely one of the go-to guys for ROH, not just for the website, but whether it's a media appearance or visiting a children's hospital, participating in ROH trivia night, um, I just think it goes to show how much, you know, passion you have for the company. And, and I think it, it sets a great example for the rest of the locker room. I, I, I love this place. I mean, I love it. I, I can't say that enough, but it's, you know, it goes back to all those mistakes that I've made in the past to think that a kid that uh, so many people probably counted out to think that, you know, Ring of Honor took a chance on me and continued to just believe in me and let me live my dream. Like to think about winning the title in Madison Square Garden, man, I used to dress up as the ultimate warrior as a six-year-old kid and, you know, rip off all my shoelaces and have my mom freaking out because I tied them too tight around my arms and now she has to cut them off. But that whole time I'm pretending I'm the ultimate warrior in Madison Square Garden. And now here I am actually doing it. Like you, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't give me a, a better gift or a better life than Ring of Honor has given me. So, you know, if they need me to do anything, I, I look at it as, of course, like Ring, Ring of Honor doing better or, or getting their name out there, that, that leads to more stuff for me, of, uh, you know, selfishly, but I personally, deep down inside, want to see this company do as good as, as humanly possible. And seeing its growth through the years makes me nothing but but proud and uh it doesn't necessarily have to have the spotlight on me because i i feel that sense of pride no matter uh what's going on in ring of honor um because this is this is uh everything i love and they've they've treated me likewise all right he is matt taven and we will be back with more right after this short break I'm Quinn McKay, your host of Ring of Honor Wrestling, and the new year brings tons of opportunities, including your opportunity to represent your favorite Ring of Honor star by wearing their merchandise, including me for some reason. So log on to ROHProShop.com now to get yours. All right, we're back here in the ROH Strong Podcast with Matt Taven. Uh, Matt, we talked about what was, I guess, sort of an embarrassing incident for you recently, the, the George the Animal Steel thing. <laughs> Not recently, 10 years ago. 10 but years recently, ago. Recently, and something else that is, a, you know, I think was a little embarrassing for you, which was uh, watch your very first <laughs> televised match in ROH. This goes back to you being the go-to guy. The very first <laughs> um, episode of my first match on YouTube, and, and you're the guy watching your match from 2010. 
So I must say, you've definitely come a long way since that match. You know, I think it says a lot about you that you're secure enough that you could actually laugh at yourself. You know, I, I and, and I don't think it's because of the, I'm the company guy. I think it's because they looked at everyone's first matches and they said, Matt Taven has the most embarrassing first match. <laughs> so this is the only way we should start this series. Um, uh, like, and it goes back to, you can look at, at those moments and laugh now. I can look back at the George Animal Steel one or slipping on the springboard and laugh now because of everything that's happened afterwards. I'm sure if that was my last match, I probably would not look back at it so fondly. Um, but man, I cannot tell you, I can remember that match like it was yesterday um, because like my family is, is from all over New England and um, anyone that knows New England knows that that Plymouth Memorial Hall is not really the easiest thing to get to in New England. It's kind of out by the Cape. So I had family like drive from New Hampshire, which is a good two and a half hour drive. You know, people coming from outside Boston, from, uh, you know, Metro West and stuff all the way and the driving down towards the Cape to watch this match is that huge sign that says Tavenville. And of course that happens. Uh, so it's, it's just one of those things. It's almost like a movie, like, oh, the prodigal son comes home and slips on a banana peel and shows his ass in front of everyone. It's, uh, it's one of those things that thank God that I can go back and laugh at that now, because at the time, trust me, I was not laughing. I was freaking out. I was, I was like, ah, well, I screwed that one up. I'm done there. Now it's going to take me forever. Uh, and it did take me a good amount of time to get back in the good graces with Ring of Honor. Not forever, but a good amount of time. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that we have the XWA Wrestling Kingdom where uh, me and Mike started it. Um, it's our wrestling school in Rhode Island. And it, we, we love it. Like, it just to, to keep the, the passion and the love for wrestling, to pass it on to anyone else is something that's so cool. Like, when you see them start to come up and kind of get into their own and you see their love for wrestling, it's, it's really a cool experience. But I can't tell you how much, you know, the guys and girls that go to the XMA Wrestling Kingdom love to watch the matches or the promos where I am awful. Like, they watch the stuff of my first two years or so more than probably anything else because uh, I think they love to have a good laugh at me. But also, it's a great learning experience to show, like, you know, not everyone comes out tearing the, the house down and just, you know, house of fire and, and sets the world ablaze and goes right to the top. Sometimes there's, there's a lot of stumbling points. And so when, when I see new kids get frustrated at themselves because they're not comfortable cutting promos, I'm like, man, watch this promo of me. I'm like a year and a half in and it's terrible. Or, you know, they're, they're upset that um, they're just not getting something in the ring. I'm like, this is my first ROH match. So <laughs> <laughs> if you think that you're hopeless now, let me tell you, you have not even come close to the, the obstacles you'll probably have to encounter in this crazy world of wrestling. And if you love it enough, you can get over absolutely anything. So what stuck with me from this match, your first match in ROH, televised match, it wasn't, it wasn't the slip on the ropes on the springboard. It wasn't um, all the baby oil that you had <laughs> all over your body. It was the blonde that. girl who kisses you on the cheek on your way to the ring. Matt. Anna, tell us the truth. How much did you pay that girl? Huge pop. I had no memory of that. <laughs> at all so like i'm watching myself coming out to the ring covered in baby oil laughing at myself missing my hair a little bit and then i walk down the aisle and i see that blonde girl kiss me and legit that was the first time i had seen that match since it happened when i watched it back because i really didn't ever want to watch it 
I have no idea who that person is. I have no memory of, of that even happening, but it just goes to show you, even when you slip on a springboard, you know, the ladies still love Matt Tave and I'll take that to the grave. <laughs> hey man, I don't know how you do it. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, I think as a shoot, you legitimately have, I think more female fans than, than anybody on the roster. And, and you've actually that. formed like some like real friendships with some of these women, correct? Uh, I mean, w- there is such a diehard group that, and I, I, I tell them all the time, like uh, the, the momentum that I had going into Madison Square Garden, they were really the cheerleaders for and kind of, you know, greased the wheels of, of, of that, that steamrolling right to the top. So it's like, you can't be nothing but grateful for, for this fan base. And whether, you know, they call themselves Team Taven or, or the, the Queendom or the Honor Club girls or, or whatever they want to they call themselves, I, I'm so appreciative of their support. And, like, to, to a guy like me who I was telling you earlier, I was working, you know, my butt off. And it felt like I was just kind of not getting the – I was not getting that traction that I needed. And then all of a sudden it was like – this snowball started rolling downhill and again a lot of them were females but like it's just and then they started connecting with each other online and it was like the matrix like all these things started connecting and it, it just the purple rain thing happened because uh, mary kate who's a huge huge supporter of mine who like handles a lot of my merchandise now she was able to get that that purple belt done and it's such a huge thing of, of like my story arc to the top with, with that purple rain belt. And that was all because, you know, literally she walked up to me on the Jericho cruise and was like, I can get this done for you. I can get that, that done for you. No problem. And it's like that kind of help everyone needs, everyone needs in their life, someone to, to give them a helping hand. Like it's, it's it's not, there's not a single person that gets to the top without a bunch of people helping them. So it's like, I can never be nothing but grateful for absolutely all of them. Like recently I just got sent a scrapbook out of the blue in the mail and, and quarantine is, is, is a weird time I think for everyone, because like a lot of times we're just sitting here with our thoughts. And so like, as a wrestler, you're sitting there making plans, but also you feel stagnant because of everything going on. So you're kind of like in this anxious, like circle where you want to get going, you just can't. And uh, it's frustrating. And then all of a sudden I get sent this, this huge gift package from all, from all these fans, just basically letting me know that they're thinking about me and they can't wait for me to get back. And it's something little, but to me, it's like, I I needed that right now. And that support group, I'll always be nothing but grateful for. And it's like, I've really lucked out from, from ring of honor to, you know, the, the queendom to everything that's happened to me in my career. It's, it's hard to complain when you get the chance to look back on it. And uh, with everything going on, I've had a chance to look back on this past year and, it's without a doubt the best year of my life. Well, I, there was one of them, and I and I'm I apologize for not knowing which one because I know some of them by name. There's Anne Marie and Courtney Jean, right? Is that yes, another one? Um, one of them filmed on their phone the moment at Madison Square Garden where you pull down the uh, the belt and become the champion, mm. and like she's literally overcome with emotion and in tears, which I mean, it's just it is amazing to make that kind of connection. Um, with people who are your fans who then also become your friends. I mean, it's a pretty cool moment. So a, a little, uh, you know, a little side story that I didn't really mention. I mentioned a tiny bit of it in the article, but I didn't mention what happened afterwards. Like I, I looked up and I saw that, uh, 
you know, the, the, the huge banner, the Madison Square Taven banner up in, in the rafters of MSG. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. But when I left MSG that night, and before I met up with all my friends and stuff like that, it was me, uh, the Kingdom, and Dalton Castle. We were walking out through the back entrance, and the security was bringing us out. And I don't know how. I don't know, like, I, I have no idea because we got brought to a different entrance uh, or an exit, but somehow that whole crew or at least a good chunk of them knew that they waited for me and I was like the last one to leave MSG. And I walk out and there's this giant crew of fans holding that Madison Square Taven banner. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was an emotional moment for me, you know, and, and with everything going on to, to just feel that kind of love and support. It's, um, it's not something that I don't think everyone gets to experience, especially a guy that, uh, you know, a couple hours earlier, everyone in MSG was telling me to, to go F myself. And now I get to walk outside and get this love fest. So I definitely have this weird love hate relationship with, uh, with the fans as in a general sense, but the ones that love me uh, ha have done so much for me and I share all these great moments with them and I really wouldn't have it any other way. Let me switch gears just for a second because I, I didn't want to end this podcast without talking about um, CMLL, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think see, your work in CMLL, I think really did help to establish you as, as more of a top guy because you did wrestle in main events there. You main evented their biggest show of the year, their anniversary show. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to talk a little bit about the atmosphere there because I think it's like they have the dancing girls <laughs> and, and the air horns. With the, it's like yeah, really yeah. a fun atmosphere. Do you have to change like your style when you work there? Oh, I mean, there's there's definitely a difference in the Lucha Libre style. When you first go down there, and that whole story of me first going going down there is a is one of, it's a podcast on its own. But like <laughs> the long and short of it is, I was hurt. CML asked for me, and I, I I think certain people in Ring of Honor, I think they knew like my passion for wrestling and just kind of like how I I've always loved wrestling and I love like you know, the guys that you hear their stories of them going around the world and them wrestling here and wrestling there and, and wrestling in Arena Mexico and like how special that place is. And they uh, wanted me to go down there. And obviously I was rehabbing my, my knee surgery and Ring of Honor hits me up and, and they asked me, hey, you know, you're gonna, you go down there and debut in Arena Mexico. And I'm like, oh, jeez, you're really like going to lay it on me like that. And I'm like, okay, what, what's the timeline? And I had in my mind, October 1st, I would come back to Ring of Honor. And so they tell me, you know, halfway through September, they want me down in, in Mexico. And luckily, you know, the guy who was, I was doing physical therapy with, I think he got it. He saw like the passion that I had just to, for wrestling and, and how much this would mean to me. Um, and just me as a, as a diehard wrestling fan since I was a child, it's like, man, I get to go down to Arena Mexico. This is awesome. So I wasn't going to say no to that. I wasn't going to turn it down. And I, I definitely sped up my rehab, maybe came back a tiny bit too early. But it, looking back on it, you really, I wouldn't change anything uh, for the world. And um, when I first went down there, man, the first couple of matches, you can tell. I, I, I am not comfortable with the Lucha Libre style. Just like little stuff like, I remember putting my opponent in an arm ringer and then reaching to tag my, my partner and them looking at me like I was an alien. Like they never tagged down there. They were looking right. at me like, 
what is this guy doing? And I was like, yep, yep, you're right. I, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so like it definitely took a little bit, but man, halfway through that first tour down there, I got the, the hang of it. And there was so many great guys down there that really helped me out. You know, from Mark Jindrak, who's just the absolute man, uh, Sam Adonis down there, uh, you know, guys that obviously had come down to Mexico and, and, and knew, you know, what it took to kind of get in into the rhythm of being down there, get into the good graces with the guys. And they really led me down the right path. And I'm eternally thankful uh, for that. But there was, you know, a couple of matches that really stick out to me that the first time I went down there, it ended with a, a main event against with me and Roosh. And then I come back down there and it's me and, and Ultimo Guerrero in a match where at the end, the fans are throwing money in the ring. And those first two times down there, I think really woke a lot of people up in the States to see that given the opportunity, I could go down and main event a place and like really rock the house down in arena Mexico. And, you know, I, I wanted obviously to do that back here in the States. And uh, I, I think that that definitely opened up a lot of people's eyes and ears uh, that I could do something like that. Couple of non-wrestling questions. Um, actually, I, I guess this is sort of a wrestling question. You do a, you do your own podcast, right? Called take a bump. Yeah. Um, tell me about this. This is your opportunity. You can plug that, tell people what it's all about and, and, and where they can find it. Well, Take a Bump is on a little bit of a hiatus right now just because of everything with the coronavirus. Uh, our studio was closed down, so it was hard to get in there. And we just didn't want to. We, we did a couple of, of ones, you know, um, outside of the studio, and it just wasn't the same quality. So we decided to take a, a little break till we can get back in there. But we have 50 episodes of us talking about everything under the sun from conspiracies to, you know, sports. And then we, we usually have a, a ring of honor guy or a def uh, or any other guy kind of in the, um, the wrestling scene, but mostly ROH guys come in for an interview. And, you know, some of those ones that you have this personal relationship and you know uh, how this guy is so funny outside of the ring and you want to bring that to the podcast and it's like you know you interview someone like mark briscoe and like i have a relationship with mark briscoe where i just think he's like the funniest coolest person in the entire he cracks me up like no other and i'm just trying to get stories out of him on my podcast where i know i can show that side uh, of mark briscoe and bring up dumb things like when uh, when me mark briscoe and eddie edwards started a band uh while we were waiting to do pre-tapes one time called the mark briscoe and the rubber bands uh we broke up but uh you know a reunion tour could be could be in the works you never know <laughs> what did you do in this what was your uh did you we all played different or? rubber bands oh different uh, oh rubber okay i see yeah. what you did there mark briscoe and the rubber bands yeah me and eddie we, we were killing it on those rubber bands and mark was kind of giving us like a a little bit of a slap drum, a rubber band, and vocals. He's multi-talented, that Mark Briscoe. Weren't you in like a real band back in the day? I, I was. I, <laughs> I, live, I live a very strange life. Um, I was. <laughs> I was in two bands. I was in a band in high school called Rookie. Very original name. And then I was in a, a band in, in college that I'm probably most proud of uh, called Winslow Gray. And people ask all the time like the music on my youtube channel when i do like the travel taven videos whose music's that that's mine that's that's winslow gray that's um uh my band that that i used to be in i played uh keyboards pianos i did backup vocals i wrote most of the songs like it's just you know just just doing my thing uh with a bunch of friends that i, I grew up with in new hampshire and uh we had a, a fantastic time doing that uh but it's one of those things that you realize uh, 
how something like music is so much similar to like the wrestling worlds where it's like such a similar sacrifice and with things like music in our band especially you had five guys you had to worry about five different people wanting the same thing and and five guys you know going in the same direction where truly in wrestling you know if you want it bad enough you can rely on just yourself and i think that that's kind of the mindset that i had and starting to get into wrestling at a later age after doing stuff like being in a band and you know i had gone to school i started a fraternity in college i did a bunch of weird stuff i see you uh, as a frat guy i can see that oh come on you say that as a negative thing <laughs> and plus they don't say frat it's fraternity oh excuse me <laughs> i started my own so it's a whole different story well we 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 Sigma Pi, I'll tell that story real quick. Sigma Pi is a national chapter. They came to me and a group of guys at Johnson & Wales University asking us to start our own chapter. And we were the founding fathers of the 80 Omega uh, chapter of Sigma Pi at Johnson & Wales University. So that's, that's another thing from the resume. But, um, you know, after doing all these things and then getting into the wrestling world, you know, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage because you're starting so late. So like me and Mikey are the same age, but Mikey started when he was 15 and I started when I was 23. So he has nearly a decade of experience uh, over me by the time I start. But at the same time, I have all this life experience from doing things like, you know, trying to, to get push band CDs and get people to, you know, grab these records, get, get tour dates booked and, and book shows here and there, get studio time booked. From, you know, the, the, the fraternity thing was a whole nother, you know, can of worms of just having to figure out how to get all these moving pieces together. And then I got into wrestling and I see like, that booking and that that hustle atmosphere uh, is still very prevalent, like still very similar in wrestling. But here I had the advantage of only worrying about myself, which was something that like I really kind of um, took advantage of because I knew that if I just kept pushing, things were things were going to work out. So one of the other things I know that you did, I guess, um, after college was you worked was it in sales or marketing, right, for the New England Patriots? Yeah, I was in, <laughs> I, um, I have a sports entertainment event management degree. And so right after college, I started working for Craft Sports Group, which is the New England Patriots and the New England Revolution. And so I was in their inside sales and marketing department. And uh, I'm, I'm going to the stadium every day, you know what I mean? And you're running into these, these famous guys and, and people are like, oh that must be so cool you're at you're at the at Gillette every day and it was but you know after a month or two it just becomes another job like the novelty of the job wears off and I, I truly think that that's what made me really feel like I was made to wrestle is that that novelty still to this day has never worn off for me like I still get those like butterflies before I go out there I still get that anxious excitement like a kid on Christmas you know Eve just waiting for for uh to open my presents which for me is to go through that curtain uh, so I was at the, I was at the stadium and I can remember this like it was yesterday, uh, wrestling started, I was on the indie scene and it started to pick up a little bit, but as you know, you know, wrestling is, is a weekend man's game and, you know, obviously sports is, is a very similar thing. So to go on a trip with a team on the weekend or, or to be at the stadium for a game on the weekend, you're losing out on bookings that, that you might be able to take to advance your career in the wrestling world. And I can remember walking out to my car in the parking lot of the stadium and I called my dad and um, I, 
I had this thought in my mind that I was going to lay this on him with, with the thought that he was going to tell me I was insane, but I call him and I say, Hey dad, I think I'm about to walk inside right now and quit and give this wrestling thing a chance. Fully expecting he's going to talk me off the ledge and say like, you know, you have student loans to pay off you moron, go back inside. Uh, and he told me that you're only young once and that you've always wanted to do this. So follow your dreams. And I was like, that's not what I was expecting at all. I walked right inside. I put my two weeks notice in. It was probably the best two weeks that I ever worked there because I was so happy. Uh, and when I walked out that door the last day, I was so nervous because I was like, did I just make the dumbest, did I just make the stupidest mistake of my life uh, to run away basically and join the circus? But <laughs> it's one of those things that I can look back on that situation with a huge smile on my face because, you know, luckily it all worked out in the end. Absolutely. Sure did. And kudos to your dad for, for <laughs> yeah, giving right. you the, the advice to, you know, just to, to follow your dream, which I think is awesome. Um, speaking of the Patriots, I know that you're a huge <laughs> fan. Man, I, I have to ask you about this coming season. I mean, hopefully there will be a season. I think there will be. Um, man, what do you expect? You know, Brady's gone. Gronk's gone. Do you believe in Jarrett? Stidham is that how it's pronounced I, I think Hoyer might be the starter yeah <laughs> I, I mean what so. are you expecting this year realistically um you know realistically you, you're I think if you're looking at a eight and eight nine and seven season that's probably going to be the best and you never know the AFC has been weak for for a couple of years now this is an opportunity for other teams to step up and maybe take that playoff spot but could you slide in and you know, maybe be one of those division winners that have to play on wild card weekend. That's probably the best case scenario. At the same time, I grew up when the Patriots were absolutely terrible before. Like Tom Brady came like at the beginning of high school and it was like the savior had come to earth. And so it's it's one of those things that's insane to think we had 20 years of them. Also, it's insane to think that guys like Kenny King get to send me messages of him buying a Tom Brady's Bucks jersey. And that's just <laughs> not okay. Like, so, I, I, you know what? I honestly think maybe they are going to cancel the whole season just because Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay. I almost think that's poetic justice. Just call it off now. We don't need it. Tom Brady is, is no longer in New England, so who cares? But um, – I, I always try to look at uh, at things as, po as things as positively as possible. So for me, as much as I know the Patriots probably aren't going to, you know, be a contender, I at least have two games I can watch every Sunday now where uh, the Patriots and the Buccaneers don't overlap that much. So I can, you know, keep rooting for, for the Patriots and hope that Jared Stidham maybe becomes the, the next Tom Brady. You know, he's, he's that diamond in the rough guy that we've been looking for or, or whoever the next guy might be. I, I don't know. I don't have too much hope in, in Jared Stidham. No, nothing <laughs> against him. But um, at the same time, I'm going to give hope where, where, where I need it to be. And then I can just watch Tom Brady. And now I don't have to be biting my fingernails the whole time. I can almost enjoy the games, which is – a little bit different than every Super Bowl that we're in because it's always close and I'm always freaking out and sweating. And then, you know, <laughs> finally, uh, usually we end up on top, but the games are almost not enjoyable at all because I'm having a panic attack the whole time. Well, this might, I have a proposal for you. Um, since the Pats, you know, Hey, don't let's even tell me to jump to the, to the Ravens side. Hey, let's just, it. let's don't be honest. The Patriots it. dynasty, it's over. And <laughs> I know you love purple. Is there any chance I'll see you wearing a Lamar Jackson jersey anytime soon? 
You know, we talked about this at the beginning of the show. I'm a loyal guy. I'm Patriots forever. I don't care if I move away from New England, if they stink forever, it will be no different than when I rooted for them as a child. So uh, over my dead body, will you see me in a Ravens jersey? Even though I did go and enjoy the Ravens game this year uh, with the ROH crew, it, it's not like I, I, can, I can jump on the purple bandwagon yet. You got to love Lamar, though, just as a football yeah, he's he was and to see you know to be there and just watch him make look like he's playing with a bunch of children and just running past everyone like he's the only one uh, that's an adult on the field was awe inspiring. Uh, I was a little disappointed that they they didn't make a, a a run for it. You know, I thought that they were going to be in the Super Bowl, but you know, hey, maybe next year, guys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit of a sore subject. Uh, yeah, you know, I can't be jumping on this bandwagon if you guys are going to be dropping the ball and losing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on that note, uh, we're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we're going to play 10 Questions with Matt Taven. Honor Nation, we heard you. Fantastic matches from Ring of Honor's 2010 archive are now exclusively on Honor Club. We live history such as Tyler Black's championship run, Kevin Steen versus El Generico, the rise of Kenny Omega, the Kings of Wrestling versus the Briscoes, Roderick Strong, Christopher Daniels, Colt Cabana, and more. Sign up today at rohonorclub.com as we continue to add historic events from 2002 to 2010. We are back here with Matt Taven on the ROH Strong Podcast. Matt, it's time to play 10 questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? Uh, To go to the pyramids in Egypt. That's a good one. And you know what, now that I know that, you know, you look at the pyramids in Egypt and you think, oh, they're all by themselves at the desert. And then you look at the, you zoom out a little bit and realize that there's a huge town or it's city, like a giant city of Cairo wrapped all around the pyramids. I hear that there's a pizza hut where you can look out the window and the pyramids are right next to you. So if I can eat a pizza at Pizza Hut while looking at the pyramids, that's going to be a double check off the bucket list. <laughs> I'm going to write that down on my bucket list. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, question number two. Who is your celebrity crush? Oh, Scarlett Johansson, all day. That seems to be a popular one. Yeah, I think other people have said that. You know, and it's upsetting because I'm such a big SNL fan. And um, to know that, uh, oh, my God, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. What's his name that's engaged to, to Scarlett Johansson? Oh, God. I don't know. updates with Michael J. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Michael J. And uh, I'm such a, I, I, I say I'm a big fan and now I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, to think that he's that funny, works on SNL and goes home to Scarlett Johansson, pff, you, you better, best guy. All right. Don't give him <laughs> anything else. He doesn't right. need anything else. <laughs> kind of like your boy Brady, right? Guys every, has everything and, and the supermodel wife. Well, you know, that's why we shipped them off to Tampa Bay. Now he's going to, you know, have a bad season and we can say, well, he's not perfect. There you go. <laughs> I'm not rooting for that, by the way. I'm still rooting for Tom. It's just, it's hard. All right. Question number three. Do you have any hidden talents? Oh, man. So many of This my is a talents. family show, Matt. Remember that. <laughs> so many of my talents, I feel, have been exposed. And no pun intended there either. Um Juju, hidden talents. Um, my God, you put me on the spot. 
<laughs> and after talking about, I have an extensive DVD collection. No, Hidden Talents. Um, I, I am a fantastic basketball player. I know I posted that video the other day, but I, I just need to get this over. If there's a, a basketball wrestling squad, uh, I, I'm in the, in the starting lineup. Dude, I saw that. I thought I was watching like a Mr. Perfect video from back in the 90s. You know, I mean, that's just, that's what happens when I step on the court. Perfection. You didn't show all the misses, though. Uh, that was not edited. That was, yeah, right. was okay. raw footage. <laughs> all right. Question number four. What person, living or dead, would you like to have a conversation with? If you could oh, talk man. to anyone. See, like, this is a, this, this is a question that I always get way too existential with because I think the obvious answer is that you have to no matter what religion you believe in the most famous person on earth is Jesus right yeah. and so I think whether whatever you believe in that you should that should be the person that you talk to because more people know that name than anyone right so I would want to pick his brain I guess um, for for a more I don't know more less less uh, touchy subject matter um anyone in history hmm there's so many that come to mind but it, it's hard to get past the first person <laughs> uh, you can't go much past that one that is yeah true. you know what i mean if, if we're if we're gonna literally say our time begins and ends with him i, I think we need to have a sick conversation that's good that's good <laughs> question number five what is the origin of the word melvin oh this is a great one this is a great one. So uh, the word Melvin um, comes from a couple different things. Like obviously, you know, people will say that it's from South Park. Uh, they say Melvin's a frontal wedgie on, on, on South Park. And, and that, that little, that did have a little bit to do with it. But Melvin kind of just came like as a natural thing where me and my buddy from home, uh, one in particular, my, my buddy that I grew up with as a next door neighbor, this kid, Pat Carroll, we, we've grown up together and we, you know, the closer you are as friends, the more you just talk trash and rip into each other whenever you have any sort of athletic uh, competition against one another. So we were just constantly talking trash. And anytime we played Madden against one another, I would be singing songs in his face. And for some reason, I just started calling him a Melvin and saying, like, you're nothing but dust, you little Melvin. You're dusty <laughs> out there, Melvin. And, like, it would upset him. And I think that that's why I just kept – I held on to it so tightly. Uh, to think that years later I'd be selling shirts to say no Melvins uh, from an insult that I was using as a junior high school kid to my friends is kind of mind-boggling. But, yeah, that, that comes all the way back from – just talking trash, playing PlayStation uh, against my, my junior high best friend. Okay. I always wondered about that. So now I, I learned <laughs> something on this podcast. Uh, question number six, what's something that you'd like to be better at? And I know you're good at a lot of things, Matt, you know, we know that, but what's something you could be even better at? <sighs> something I could be better at. I know uh, that's a hard one for you. <laughs> no you know like uh i i always think that I, I could be better in the ring and that seems like such a cliche answer but that's that's like the the drive of of or the bane of my existence is that i always feel like i definitely could could continue to get better and like for me there's there's certain things that now that i'm healthy for the first time in really years i feel like 
I'll be able to get my cardio better. I'll be able to kind of like do some of the things that I, I had done in the past that I kind of shied away from just because of stability with my knee or ankle, um, going back to more of my high flying stuff. Um, and it's, it's those things that right now, especially rehabbing that I, I that's the only thing that I, like, I think about getting better at. It's like, all right, get better at this in ring stuff, you know, get better at, um, making sure that these legs that you always kind of thought were going to die on you about 20 minutes into the match are ready to, to go full speed for a half hour, no stops, no breaks, no nothing. So that's, that's what I'm focused on getting better at. Okay. Question seven. What's something popular, popular, easy for me to say, what's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? Oh man, that's so many things. I've been called a contrarian so many times. Um, <laughs> and, and man, that's uh, what's the first got, thing that pops into your head? Got got heat for for for, for saying stuff. Um, you you know what I really don't get, and it's it's funny because I know as a social media, you know platform that that we all need to take advantage of it's so hot right now or we, we you know everyone in ring of honor is jumping on it i don't get tiktok i don't understand why i want to watch these people dance poorly and and to songs that i don't know there's that one song that's like i don't the dance for it is so bad and the rhythm of it is just such a, like an annoying like and it gets stuck in my head all day long and i sit there and i wonder i'm like how is this even taking up space in my brain it's so annoying it's terrible um and for some reason i have to be a part of it and i'm probably going to post a tiktok video as soon as i'm done here because you know we need to take advantage of the social media platform but i don't understand it and i never understood anime either i never understood anime well roh is on tiktok now so way to bury <laughs> way to bury that uh, I'm on TikTok as well. Okay. So please go follow me as much as, I, as I'm telling you I hate it. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Uh, we mentioned basketball earlier, and of course the last dance uh, was just mm. on not too long ago. So this is a straightforward one. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? That's not even a question. You know where I, I stand. I agree with you, but what's your answer? Not even a question. It's Michael, Jeffrey, Jordan all I agree. day, every day. There was no one like him. When, when Michael Jordan was in the finals, you really never thought he was going to lose. LeBron, you've seen the, the chinks in his armor a couple times, and I've never saw that in Jordan. And uh, a little Jordan story, and to show you how big of a basketball fan I am, um, you know, when I was a kid, luckily – my, my dad would, would grab a, a lot of Celtics tickets for us. And at that time, the Celtics were terrible. So, like, you could buy those balcony tickets, and by the end of the game, you could be sitting right by the by courtside, and no one would ever stop you because there wouldn't be a lot of people there in the first place. And I'm sure they wanted to fill those, those camera shots anyway. So they had no problem with me sneaking down uh, to the floor. But one time, they were playing the Bulls. I snuck down to the floor like normal. Uh, I took a picture with Curtis Martin, who was on the Patriots at that time. But then Michael Jordan walked by me and he had a Gatorade towel on his shoulder. And I reached out and grabbed it. And as soon as I grabbed it, like a bunch of people kind of were trying to grab at him too. I got knocked down. I remember holding this towel on the ground and like Michael, <laughs> Michael Jordan's sweat is on it. And I'm like, oh my God, Michael, I have Michael Jordan's sweat right now. And literally that 
in that towel is in a in a sealed plastic bag in my parents' house in New Hampshire still to this day. Uh, I, I now that I think of it, I need to go get it. But I still have that towel, um, and I, it used to be on my wall. Literally, I had it like there was posters and stuff, and then a a Ziploc bag that of Michael Jordan sweat was on my wall for my entire uh, growing up life until I moved until I went to college. Well, it's funny when you mentioned that you you reminded me of something. It's not quite the same thing, but are, are you familiar with the uh, the monkeys, the '60s recording group, Mickey Dolan? Hey, hey. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I went to see the Monkees. Actually, it was a Mickey Dolan solo concert uh, several years ago. And, and Mickey oh, had like right. a, a towel and, and like wiped his brow yeah. and threw it out in the crowd. And it, just, it came right to me. And I have, like, like you have Jordan's towel with the sweat in it. I have Mickey Dolan's towel with the sweat in it. And, and it's in my office. I saved it. I love that. I love that. You know, Dino Raja who basketball fans will remember, he threw me his towel one time and I did not save that in the Ziploc bag like I did for Jordan. So that was only for special, special occasions. All right, question number nine, and you'll love this one. This is just for you. Which team is the bigger cheater, the New England Patriots or the Boston Red Sox? (laughs) Uh, You must answer the question. The answer is the Houston Astros. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, uh, you know, life is a sport and unfortunately you, you got to crack some eggs to make an omelet. So, uh, answered like a true heel. Aren't you a baby? As long as as I can look up at Gillette stadium and see all those banners, I don't care how they got them as long as they're there. All right. All right. All right. Question number 10, what's the dumbest or the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? I don't know if it's a like an individual question, but there's certain things that will happen in an interview that right away I'll get heated about, and it's 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 because you can see that someone's just reading your Wikipedia page, <laughs> you know, and they're like, no one ever called me the chaotic idol. I do not know why that's on my Wikipedia page. I think one indie called me that, and they'll be like the chaotic idol, Matt Taven. And I'll be like, this son of a. He has no idea who I am. Um, that and if anyone accidentally says tavern in oh an interview, God. yeah, it, call it quits. Call it quits right there. Like, I understand that it's it's close. You're a letter off. But if you can't read, it's not my fault. You shouldn't be interviewing anyone. I'm sorry. I thought for sure you were going to say the worst question was the one I had just asked you about the Patriots and the Red Sox. You know, I see, I, I let stuff slide. That's not, that doesn't get under my skin. You don't think I, half the guys in my fraternity were from the New York, New Jersey area. I have heard every insult about the Patriots, the Red Sox, every cheating, you know, pun that you can come up with. Don't care. I'm a-okay with it. You know what I mean? I, I let it, I've heard it all and it still doesn't affect my love for, for the Patriots or Red Sox. Well, Matt, we've had a lot of fun today, and I don't want to um, end this on a bad note, but I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Vincent was texting me about wanting to be a part of the show. He's texted me several times. He keeps saying that there's something he wants to say to you. Um, This is odd. We've never done anything like this. Um, We could go to a break, and I could get him on here, and I could let him talk to you, or we could just wrap things up and say to hell with Vincent, but it's your call. There's something he wants to say to me. 
That's that's what he said. He has something he wants to say to you. Publicly. I mean, I fear no horror dad. So I like let this idiot say whatever he wants. I'm sure it's going to be nothing but nonsense. He's going to make himself look like a fool. So sure, bring bring this guy on. Like, whatever, man. I I, I uh, okay. fear no no doofus. <laughs> All right, so we'll take this one last really short break, and then uh, I get we'll come back with uh, apparently Vincent joining the show. Stay tuned. Hold my beer. Hello, Ring of Honor fans. I'm the Beer City Bruiser, along with my tag team partner. I'm Brian Malonis, and we are the Bouncers. And you know what, Brian? We keep getting asked, what are the Bouncers doing during quarantine? What are we doing? Well, you know we're drinking beer, but we're also beating the likes of Joe Hendry in drinking contests, and we've been hosting happy hour every week with the stars of Ring of Honor, sharing a drink, sharing a laugh, and I almost came like this close to getting a Zoom date with Sasha Moth Martina. No, no, not really. But fans, if you guys want to check that out, the Joe Hendry stuff, the happy hour with the bouncers, subscribe to Ring of Honor's YouTube page. And if you want some cool swag, like a bouncers t-shirt or a Ring of Honor t-shirt, go to ROHwrestling.com and go to the shop button and pick some up. So Brian, I can't wait to see you. But until then- Hold on, hold on. I got a quick question, Bruiser. What? Do you think Session Moss like the stuff I've done? See you later, Ring of Honor fans. Cheers. All right, we are back here uh, on the ROH Strong podcast. Um, as you heard before we went to the break, Vincent uh, wanted to be a part of it today and, and apparently has something he wants to say to Matt. Uh, Vincent, welcome to the show. The floor is yours. Man, we can make an announcement to all the four district personnel that all the four friends. Hey, Kevin. Yes. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know, you are one hell of a guy. One hell of a guy. Man of the people. Chaotic Idol Matt Tavern. Jesus Christ. What? You know, what, did you, like, what you have nothing to do today, dude? Like, what, listen, what do you Listen want? to me. Listen to I me. I understand listen that to, no listen one to hard me. daddy. Listen to hard daddy while he talks, man. You know, I listened to that whole entire podcast. And the things that stuck out the most, Taven, is Ring of Honor, if they were more successful, that means more stuff for you. You know, and then the, the, back to the college days, you know, I wanted to be a wrestler because I'll only worry about myself. I couldn't help to, to hear you constantly talk about you. Yeah, the it's always is about me. It's all... But, Taven, that's See, the thing, man. That's no one asks thing, about you. It's always about you. What you did for who you did it for, how things benefit you, man. You and people like you are the problem. I can deal with sick and selfish people. Actually, I might be the most sick and selfish one of them all, but your lack of self-awareness, Taven, that's the problem. And people like you is what makes my road, my journey so much more clear. My lack of self-awareness. You are absolutely clueless. So, you know, like, like, you know that everything that we've been through is, is, is on the internet. People can go look it up. Your daughter, I, I want you to know that Autumn one day is going to be able to look at everything that's happened. She's going to look at the fact that I brought you into Ring of Honor, that we traveled the world together, and then after everything that I've done for you, you were that big of a scumbag that you would turn your back on me. <laughs> your own daughter will know that you are that big of a scumbag. So, like, whatever. You will have to live with that till the day you die. 
Taven, the eyes are useless when the mind is blind. I was a hostage with you. That's all I was, just a political prisoner. I still am in a way with Ring of Honor. They don't put me on their podcast. They don't put me in the center of their flyers. They're all a bunch of liars. You're all lying. You're all lying for your jobs and your positions, trying to protect that phony thing you call you. And that's what you are, Taven. You're phony. You are now all of a sudden you're a man of the people. What happened to Matt Taven? Now all of a sudden he wants to become friends with all his fans and, and kiss up to them on social media. Social media, Taven, I notice you like to be funny on social media. Being funny is not going to save you. I know you like to be humorous, just like your friend Dalton Castle. But you know, Taven, the truth is only dangerous if it can inflict injury. And you haven't injured me. It's over. I won. This battle is over, my friend. And I just wanted to let you know that. It is possible to be a puppet on a string without even realizing. You know what, Kevin? Let me tell you a story. I didn't go to college oh like God, Taven. Are we going to let this guy talk all oh, day? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, go to, I didn't go to school like Taven. Taven was my college. But what he didn't realize is I was the teacher. See, I met Taven over 10 years ago. I saw a six-foot-two athletic, in-shape guy. I knew he was going somewhere. And I saw that he had an open seat in the wagon. So what I did is I jumped in. He did all the driving. He did all the talking. When I said, Taven, get me in the ring of honor. He said, I'm trying. I'm trying. I said, Taven, get me in the ring of honor. He said, Vincent, I'm trying. I'm trying. And then what happened? Boom, I get a match for the world championship against Jay Lethal. Two weeks later, Kevin calls me. And he says, Vincent, we want you to be a part of Ring of Honor. So Taven, listen to me. I was the leader. He was the messenger. You <laughs> dig what I'm saying? My God, you are so delusional, Vinny. You are unbelievable, unbelievably delusional. And yes, it's all about me still because honestly, if it wasn't for me, none of this, your little speech, your little soliloquy, it would, no one would ever hear it because Vinny, when you do something, no one cares about it. That's why every time that you do anything of any importance is because you're stealing my spotlight. Everything that I worked for, everything that I've done for the last 12 years that you had nothing to do with, what you had to do with was me literally picking you up and dragged across the world. You were useless, you were luggage, and I made you who you are today. And Taven, you talk about loyalty. You talk about loyalty. I heard you mention the word loyalty in this podcast. But let's, let's get a little deeper with the loyalty thing. You brought in myself and TK Orion as the kingdom. And then it became Matt Taven and the kingdom. So I had to do something about it, and I did. I got rid of one guy out of the company completely, and now I'm working on the other. Dig what I'm saying? So that Jay Lethal, I wouldn't say Jay Lethal was your last hurdle. You're still stuck in the mud. You're still stuck in the mud that you mentioned earlier. And you said this, sometimes it's my own stupidness not learning from my old mistakes. Well, you're going to learn from this one, and then finally you can go and pick the brain of Jesus like you want to. Like, who, who do you think you're talking to? You think you're talking to a guy that doesn't know you? Like, you're thinking you're talking to someone that, that has no idea who you are for, the, for your entire life. I can see right through all this phoniness, all right? I know exactly who you are. You just don't seem to realize that I am everything. I am everything that the horror dad is, is because of me. The fact that you're too jealous 
to realize to say thank you. All you need to do is say thank you. When I first brought you in, I said I created the kingdom. I reformed the kingdom in my own image. Okay, don't ever get it twisted. It was always about me and the kingdom. Matt Taven and the kingdom. And then when I won the title at Madison Square Garden, you were overwhelmed with jealousy. You couldn't take it. You couldn't be happy for the guy that stuck his ne neck out for you and made sure your daughter had food on her table. That was me, all right? And you couldn't be happy for that guy and say you want to stab him in the back. That makes you the ultimate dirtbag. I don't, I sleep perfectly fine at night. And I'm, I'm telling you, Vinny, when I see you, it is not going to be good. All right. I have these scars <laughs> on my knee and my ankle, and you think that it's all fun and games, but I guarantee uh, you it will be nothing compared to what I do to you, Vin. <laughs> Vincent. Vincent, if I we got to wrap this, we we have to wrap this up. You asked for an opportunity to speak to Taven. I gave it to you. You you can have. Is there anything you want to say? Because we need to wrap up. Just remember, Taven. Just like you said, this is a mental game. Remember that. Okay. No, I, think I will remember that, Vinny. But the thing is, I'm a lot smarter than you. So let's play any mental game you want. Matt, I, I believe he's gone. Uh, I, I think that you, you gave him uh, way too much time, but yeah, I'm glad. I, you know, whatever. I, I like, I was having a very good time with this, but now it's, uh, I think it's I time to call it a day. Yeah. I, I, sorry about that, man. I just, what can we do? Well, Matt, I'm sorry we ended on a bad note, but I really do thank you for joining me today. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor on Facebook for news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong.